Listen in to find out why innovation should be at the core of your business strategy. I catch up with Webstercare Managing Director, Jared Stevens. Plus, I give you a taste of the newest innovations from CBIT 2014. Welcome to the Transformation Show, where successful pharmacy owners and technology partners help you to build a better 21st century pharmacy by embracing technology. Here is your host, Robert Starr. G'day, motivated pharmacy owners, and welcome back to Transformation, the only podcast in the world dedicated to you, the motivated pharmacy owner, to help you build that 21st century business by embracing technology. My name's Robert Starr, your host and guide on this fantastic journey of ours, and what a big show we've got lined up today. Firstly, you guys put the effort into putting iTunes reviews, I put that on the show. So, I've got a great one from David Flack to put on the show here. David Flack from IMS Health. I even had the pleasure of talking to David during the week to follow up on his question. So David wrote, the podcast informs my daily walk and I look forward to listening to what Robert and his guests have to say. He's a strong advocate for technology and pharmacy and his customers who ultimately are the arbiter of the product. I only hope he can carry his staff along with him because there are plenty of people out there who are frightened of technology. Well, David and I had a very good chat and I put my best case forward, which I think a lot of us should resonate with. I have got a retail manager in uh, our family's Frankston store and she is in her mid-50s and when I started the technology journey with her some years ago, um, it started across the lines of formalising our communications generally, just for general information, through email. And at this stage, she was quite resistant to actually take that on board and obviously because she had such a critical role to play in the business, and as we've been advocating all along, the technology doesn't simply change someone's importance to the business on the basis of whether they can adapt to it quicker than others. We just need to find and strike the right medium by which I could actually introduce that to her. So what I actually did is that we've got a, a multifunction scanner printer fax in our pharmacy and I was able to actually get her to, um, anytime she wanted to contact me, to actually write something on a piece of paper, scan it, I pre-configured a button so that it emailed me straight away. So problem solved initially, we are able to then have her be able to continue to handwrite for a period of time whilst we adjusted forward, and I'd get it on email. So it was a win-win for me and her. I can tell you right now that in 2014, she's one of our biggest adopters. She's using an iPad now, instant message. I could go on for a while. But in, in answer to your observation there, David, it does take a bit of a journey, but it's just important that we can try to communicate what the technology is all about and hopefully they won't be so frightened by it because in reality, it all comes down to how we look at it. So I went to CBIT 2014, and for those who haven't been to CBIT ever before, what CBIT is, it's a business and technology show. So basically you come to a huge area, it was normally in Darling Harbour, it was the first year it's been moved to the Sydney Olympic Stadium and the precinct, and it was bigger than Ben-Hur this year, it was absolutely enormous. Over five or 6,000 people attended over the three days 
from all walks of business. I think it may have even got up to 10,000 by the end of the third day. I came up for the second day. I've often come up to this. I've sometimes spent the three days and often they have different streams that you can go through. I only had the day this year and it was really just about concentrating my efforts on getting into the exhibition hall. I did note there was an e-health conference that I probably would have liked to have attended but uh, couldn't this year. And our very own George Tambassas, our Pharmacy Guild National President, was actually on the panel discussing ownership of the PCEHR or the Personally Controlled Electronic electronic health record and who should be in control of that. So it might be a good idea and I might note that down to actually give George a call and see if he'll come on the show and tell us all about his experience at the eHealth conference. So where CBIT is actually relevant for you guys and why I'm talking about this is that there's a huge amount of education and it's not education generally that you need to rapidly change and radically change the way you go about it. We're always battling to get our CE points. It's just about exposing ourselves to it. And to actually invest a day or half a day to go to CBIT is not something that everyone's in a position to do. I love technology and that's what I do. And I'm finding this stuff so I can share it with you guys. But at the same time, you can also follow a lot of this information by following CBIT on Twitter. We've spoken about it in that in previous episodes, and it'd give you a very concise view of what's happened over the three days. Or you've got someone like myself who can be your eyes and ears at the event, and I can tell you a few of the great things that I've seen. But I think that for bigger pharmacies and for those who are very keen to get on the technology bandwagon, be right on the cutting edge and be implementing things in the early adopter phase, it's an absolute must that you've got to do, I think. So where, where this, where this, the example I'm going to pull out of what I've actually seen, and funnily enough, our app of the week also comes from CBIT, but I won't jump ahead, um, is iBeacons and Wi-Fi. Now you might think, well, iBeacons, well, a beacon, a beacon. A beacon is something that we uh, might sit out in the sea that stops ships from crashing into things. It's essentially that type of thing. And what an iBeacon actually is, is it's a Bluetooth device um, that essentially can sit in the retail environment. So I'll only talk about its application to retail. It can be used for other things such as locating lost keys and things like that, but I won't go into that. That was all really interesting, but not really applicable to us. And where that's applicable is actually it's being used in pharmacies already, not on our shores, but in the US. So Walgreens and Walmart are already starting to do this. Now you might think, well, he still hasn't told me exactly what this does and why I need to be listening to this. Well, what an iBeacon is, being a Bluetooth mechanism, if in the application process of building an iPhone application for your pharmacy or perhaps your group, I understand there are some uh, leaders of our profession and our groups that do listen to this podcast, so this is probably more for you guys, um, and that you can actually develop applications that interface with these iBeacons. So if a customer has an iPhone app and they've got their Bluetooth enabled and they walk past one of these beacons, it can interact directly with your application and push a notification out to your customer. Where that might be most relevant, if you're in the larger pharmacy and you've got a vitamins area, a cold and flu area, a wound management area, you might have the opportunity to actually push a notification to the customer, welcoming to them to that section. And you might even be able to integrate some self-service or self-management tools 
and also the ability to alert one of the nearby pharmacy pharmacists or pharmacy assistants that that customer might need assistance as well. Some of the applications that have been looked at and certainly my imagination went wild when I was looking at it and there's a huge number of opportunities there as well. One example that might make this a little bit more real is that Emirates and Royal Caribbean are examples that are going live this year. So where that's going to be most relevant, and for those of us who have been fortunate enough, I haven't been for quite a few years, but what I remember when I was traveling with Dad to the Qantas lounge is that you go up the stairs and obviously you've got your membership card, you sign in, and um, they welcome you. And it can take some time, particularly in peak periods. So if you only had 10 or 15 minutes before a flight and you wanted to duck into the Qantas Club, or in this case, the Emirates Club, which I'm sure would be significantly uh, much more luxurious, I'm sure, um, you may not have the time to wait on the escalator for a line of people. So where iBeacons are applied in this environment is they put them on the escalator so that you don't have a standard membership card in your wallet, you've got a Bluetooth enabled card and it interacts with that iBeacon. You're able to go up the escalator, it'll recognize you straight away, you get to the top of the escalator, it'll say, welcome Robert Starr to the Emirates Club and uh, you can walk in and it's a great personal experience. And uh, there are some major retailers I've been told in Australia, I haven't been privy to the details yet, but I will find those out, I'm sure, in the next couple of months. So stay tuned because, uh, again, a lot of the technology you think, well, geez, it just sounds great, but does it really do anything? Is it going to put more sales through the tin? Well, if customer engagement is where you're going and you'd like to be closer to your customers, and give them an experience that perhaps they want. Some of them do come in, they want self-service and they want experience that way. It can be molded into a hybrid and digital can be your friend in that regard. So that was my example there. App of the week. Um, App of the week is uh, CareMonkey. And you might be thinking CareMonkey. Well, he spoke about SurveyMonkey the other week. Well, CareMonkey. Well, CareMonkey... Is, a, um, is an application and it, and it basically houses medical and emergency records that automatically kept up to date. I'd picked this one because I had the fortune of visiting Troy, on, uh, who's the founder of CareMonkey, uh, on one of his stalls at CBIT. They were a finalist for innovation and they've won a whole host of awards in Startup Smart, uh, the IT Invention Test and uh, the I Awards as well. So where this is relevant, particularly for us in pharmacy, it's most relevant to our patients. So, so And certainly I also had my parents' hat on here as well because uh, we've got two young, young kids, four and two, and we're about to get into the school phase. And one thing that uh, Troy alerted me to is that the significant number of forms and certainly been exposed to that in the childcare creche and kinder environments as well and what care monkey does it just takes all that worry out of out of the picture parents can sign up for free and basically put in all of the emergency medical form details it can remind parents of incomplete forms it can keep the parents in control of all the data it can update it at any time it can ensure the medical and safety information is always up to date and reduces the or eliminates the administration overhead for staff and parents, 
particularly of schools and sporting clubs and so forth. And there's a free mobile app application uh, that's for authorised carers and parents, and that functions in online and offline environments. So obviously, if a teacher goes away to camp, they can have all of the emergency contact details. And it's also a very good place for asthma plans, um, EpiPen expiry dates and all of this type of thing. So a really useful app for our parent patients that we may have, particularly also their kids as well. So it's something that's a little bit different, but something that I'm sure um, our patients will get a great benefit from. Anyway, enough about CBIT. Um, I could go on about it for a long time if I really wanted to. Uh, it's a great event and I might reference a few other tidbits and great gold nuggets that I dug up at CBIT in later episodes. This week's episode, episode also includes an interview with Jared Stevens, and he'll answer the question of why you need to be innovating and why it should be at the core of your business strategy as well. Jared's been a pharmacist for over 30 years. He's the founder of Webster Care. He's an innovator, an inventor. He's been recognized with multiple awards with an Order of Australia for services to the pharmacy industry and improving health outcomes in the community. He's also been awarded the Rare Ishidati Award in 2010. Uh, he's been given the PSA Lifetime Achievement Award NPS Lifetime Achievement Award for work in his aged care facilities, his invented MedsPro, and recently he's been announced as a finalist for the Good Design Awards in Packaging. And on top of that, and geez, he's had a stellar career and he's just going to give us so much gold in this episode, I know that for sure, um, is that Webster Care was announced as the sixth most innovative company in Australia. Jared Stevens, welcome to the Transformation Show this morning. Thank you, Robin. I'm very happy to be here. Oh, terrific, Jared. Um, and, and certainly it's great to have um, um, company owners such as yourself, but particularly those who are pharmacists and who have developed their company on the back of a long and very successful pharmacy career, both as a pharmacist and an inventor and also an innovator. So I think our pharmacy owners are getting spoilt this morning because what they're going to hear from you is not only going to help to shape their thoughts about medication management, but certainly about how to improve a business from the beginning and uh, innovate along the way. Thank you. Yes. So, Jared, I thought we might kick off this morning and I'd ask you, is, um, I guess, what, what got you started in medication management? You've got a long and illustrious career, but what got you started with medication management? How did you get introduced or think of the concepts behind Webster Care and really start that journey? Well, it started for me more than 30 years ago when I was a pharmacist at Habits Point and I doing nursing home business which was what it was called at the time was was really good business to be in but the choice as to which pharmacy was chosen was generally done on the basis of the best deal or discount that would be given rather than what i felt it should be that it should be done on the basis of who's giving the best professional service and it was just something that was very important to me to be able to to get nursing home business, but on the right basis, if that makes sense. And so I heard about a system that was available in Canada and it promised a saving of 40% of the time that nurses spent on medication-related duties. And it occurred to me that if I could offer the nursing home owners a saving in staff, that would be a bigger incentive 
for them to choose me as a provider than it would be for them to say to me, well, you know, give me the best deal and you've got the business. And so on that basis, that's what I investigated and I installed a system which was at the time called a controlled dosage system, which doesn't exist in Australia now. It's all been superseded by other innovations. But it certainly did save 40% of the time in a very small nursing home in Burwood, where the director of care was really excited about what this innovation really meant to her. It was then, she recommended it to a friend. Then I started to service that home and then another friend recommended it. And so before long I had a few nursing homes, all very small, but all getting the benefit of a professional pharmacy service. Now when I say professional pharmacy service, what was happening is in order for me to pack medication into this unit dose system, I had to know exactly what each person was on. And in the first conversion we did, when I went in, all the medications were written on like little A5 cards in pencil by the nurse and transcribed from the notes yeah. from the doctors. And whenever there was a dosage change, the nurse would rub out the penciled instructions and rewrite a new strength or a new drug. And this is all pre-computer days, you can yeah, imagine. Absolutely. So I said, look, I didn't feel comfortable about this. If I'm going to package the medication, I've got to know that what I'm packing is exactly right because in a pharmacy, there's, there's no exception. You've just got to dispense the right things. So we invited the doctors to come in and actually confirm what each person was taking. And to my shock, surprise, bewilderment and delight, something like 25% of all the medications that those people were on were changed in some way. So I had this immediate, I suppose, rush to the head of excitement about this has been a profound moment for me as a pharmacist in that I've actually done something that made a change. I don't know why I pursued it as passionately as I did, but that might have been, I, I can relate that as one of the catalysts for me, that it became a very personal crusade to see this change in the way people were treated in aged care facilities called nursing homes at the time. Mm. And one thing led to another, and then eventually what happened was other pharmacists said, well, you know, that's okay that we've got this new system, but we really want to do it. And some of the facilities didn't necessarily want me, but they wanted the system. And that's when I became a distributor for that system. Yep. And then in 1985, uh, my then Paul, uh, partner Paul Hannon and I uh, purchased the company, Anrex, here in Australia. And I was, uh, I suppose, then free to introduce some of my innovations. And the first innovation was the multi-dose Webster pack. And the word Webster came from a name that was actually registered with the Manrex name when we bought the company. It was Webster System. And during the development of Webster pack, um, we were trying to think of, well, what's a name that we can call this? You know, we actually hired someone to come in and help us choose a name. So we had hundreds of names to choose from. None of them were quite right. And then one day I thought, well, why don't we just call it Webster Pack? Hmm. And that was the name that stuck. And then uh, we added Multidose, Webster Pack. So that's where these words Multidose came from, Webster Pack. And that name has become uh, exceptionally well-known throughout the world, really, as a system. And it's really marvellous because it doesn't describe anything. It's just, it says this 
it's like Coca-Cola says, this is what immediately people know what Webster Pack is. And so I, I've just have been a, a very fortunate person that I've been able to innovate by introducing new concepts and invent as a consequence of the observations I've made and feedback I've had. And there aren't many people that I know who can say, well, they've had an idea, it's been patentable, it's then, it becomes a an item which is then distributed and then used. Mm -hmm. And one of those examples is the pillbot, which is probably about 10 years old now, but yeah. that little pillbot, the little device, which has got a little tongue sticking up the top, uh, is, it's like, you know, it's a very small device, it's a very small object, but that is used around the world now. So I get tremendous pleasure out of that and, you know, getting that feedback, it, it's an incentive. So I'm very fortunate that I have been able to see a lot of those uh, early days converted into um, something that we've got today, which is a sustainable business. Absolutely. And clearly from all of that and, you know, from your background, you have been an early adopter along the way. And I think the early adopters in technology and pharmacy have enjoyed some of those benefits for quite a number of years. And um, I'm, in, I'm interested to know that if you if you were looking um, at our industry at the moment and looking at some of the, where the pharmacy owners sit as far as where they where they see technology and the involvement in their business. Um, what advice would you have for them in, as far as embracing technology and um, could this be the catalyst to help them master pharmacy in the 21st century? The one thing that to me is the critical aspect of a pharmacy service is generating loyalty, is that, that connection with your customer. People in our society it, it, are becoming isolated and when you become a customer of a you know, service provider, where that service provider actually really is providing you with a service that means something to you in, in your heart, then when competitive influences come knocking at that customer's door, you've got like a, a moat around them and you've got time to respond before the customer just Fix over to some other alternative, you know, supplier. Yeah. And to me, that loyalty is one of the the key things. It's using technology, and I don't mean that in just uh, you know, you know, uh, databases and how you contact people, but mm. genuinely using the technology that in some way directly benefits the customer, so that they come back to you as a permanent loyal client. And, of course, the business that we're in, if you have a person on a Webster pack, they're going to get it week after week after week. They're going to always get their prescriptions dispensed. They're rarely ever going to miss a dose. So there's a personal relationship you develop with those clients, and this is the experience our pharmacists have, is that they build up this relationship, and it's very valuable business. Yeah. And some of the technology that we've more recently introduced, particularly the MedsPro, which I... I don't know how familiar you are with MedsPro, but the MedsPro system gives the pharmacist the opportunity to significantly increase their productivity in their packing, hmm. reduce the possibility of error, and therefore turn the labour component of the packing into 
a much more productive, much more efficient process, which saves an enormous amount of time and saves an enormous amount of storage space. So we've had fabulous uh, results from that. So for me, adopting technology is looking at, well, how does this technology help me to generate loyalty with my customers? Yeah. And that's part of it. Absolutely. And, and look, it, it is always going to be an enablement. And, you know, I'm a big believer that technology doesn't change our businesses. It just helps to make existing processes and best practice far more efficient and therefore save us a lot of time. That gives us that time to cultivate that relationship and not be hung up into administrative tasks and things that take us away from our patients. And, um, you know, look, certainly everything that you've mentioned about MedsPro as well. Um, again, just saves that time in the process of actually getting your, the patient the end result um, mm -hmm. and, and also obviously giving the pharmacist the opportunity to continue that uh, very close relationship. And also, look, when you get feedback from customers, clients, customers, and they come in and they actually tell you they're very happy, you can't be immune to that. That gives you tremendous satisfaction in your daily work. And I think there's a, that partly is what fuels pharmacists' motivation to even expand and adopt it. And once you get past those barriers of the, the workload and you start getting into a, an efficient workflow and highly productive where you can walk in and you can watch a person doing this, and be confident that they're doing it efficiently and that you're getting maximum efficiency and therefore minimum costs. I mean, there's always a cost no matter what you do, but minimizing the costs and improving the productivity, that gives the pharmacist not only that terrific feeling when a customer comes back and says how happy they are, they're actually looking over your shoulder saying, well, not only is the customer happy, but I'm actually doing well enough out of this that it's worth expanding. Yeah, abs abs absolutely. And I think from what, what even we've seen, like these are the positive benefits. And uh, I'm not sure if you'd saw, seen that um, Guild survey that came out a few weeks ago that were talking about pharma expanded pharmacy services and pharmacy owners' attitudes towards those such as dose administration aids, home medication reviews, home delivery service. Um, RMMRs as well and the general attitude was that we would not be able to continue to service our customers on that level because it would just add too much operating cost. So I guess one thing that your products and particularly Webster Care can help to streamline um, these parts of the pharmacy businesses but what advice would you have for any pharmacy owner that's reconsidering their position in dose administration aids? Are they looking at something that is sustainable in the future? And can well Webster Care help them on that journey? Look, Robert, if you came into my office and sat across from me at my desk, behind me I've got a frame, and in that frame I've got two two dollar notes. The significance of those two dollar notes goes right back to the very first customer that was ever on a Webster bank, and we've been doing unit dose for nursing homes for for years, and we weren't getting any reimbursement for it at the time of developing Webster Pack. And there was a, a point where, like I, I can remember reflecting on it and thinking to myself, no one's asked for this service. No one's come to said, look, wouldn't it be terrific if you had a, a Mr. Card, you've got bubbles and all the tablets are in there and you've got printing on the back and it's, it's this new concept. 
all they knew at the time were the little plastic boxes. So what we were doing was totally revolutionary. And, uh, you know, and it, it is a time factor to get it right because, you know, checking it, making sure it's right and confirming that what's in the pack is right. So we made a conscious decision that we would not provide this service for no cost. And this is going back 1986, 1985. So we said, we're going to do a charge. And the first customer that came in, we did two packs for her. We charged her $4. And these two $2 notes are the first two $2 notes that were paid mm. at the time. And this was revolutionary in pharmacy. Pharmacy is accustomed to providing services and it's all wrapped up in the professional fee that we get from our dispensing through pharmaceutical benefits. To actually charge an additional fee to a customer who came in as a service was revolutionary. And so but we thought, well, if this is going to catch on, what? how are we ever going to get pharmacists to do this if we're going to say to them, well, look, this is going to mean more work, less money, but it's a good feeling. Well, you know, that's good, but it's not going to really excite people. So why don't we start right from the beginning and say, yes, it's a fantastic opportunity. It's a great service. It will do an amazing amount of good. But yes, as a pharmacist, we should be reimbursed to help offset our costs of doing it. So we started it with a fee, and that was how it went. And what was fantastic about it is the expansion through pharmacies throughout Australia was on the basis of a fee for service. So in the cold, hard marketplace of pharmacy, this stood the test that people were prepared to pay. And that was a revolutionary concept. Now, as time went on, and particularly around that 96, 97, 98, when the generic discounts started to really hit home, there were pharmacists who saw an opportunity to cut the price to get the business. And as a consequence, that 100% of people charging diminished a little. And even in 2010, where there was a, a major study done, still 65% of pharmacists do charge for a Webster pack, which is great. So when we face a new struggle, which is really like an old struggle, mm-hmm. because you know pharmacy's always been at the crossroads, ever since I graduated, yeah. it's always been at the crossroads, but there's a lot of smart businessmen in pharmacy and there's a lot of smart business women in pharmacy. And you know, pharmacy is a customer-focused profession. So where we started with a fee, I have no doubt that if the people are told that they will not be able to get this service because there's a fee associated, I think you'll find confidently that people will pay. Now, the argument could be, oh, well, they'll just go down the road because the guy down the road is going to do it free. Well, maybe the guy down the road is not going to do it free anymore. And I'm not saying that people have to pay. I'm just saying if you've got a service that has a value, you should expect to get some reimbursement. And if you start taking into account, particularly with the price disclosure, what the discount losses could mean, it's not a huge amount that the pharmacist has got to charge to actually offset that additional cost. But there's just one other thing that really I think is important, and that is that as time went on and more and more people were on a Webster pack and people were paying, it became pretty evident that there were some people who were not getting it who couldn't afford it. And so you get this different levels of people who can afford it, different people who couldn't afford it, sometimes couldn't get it. And so that's not in the best interests 
of society. Because, uh, you know, who's to say that because you haven't got money that therefore you're okay? No. Uh, and I think this is why, one of the reasons why the initial funding started, because the government could see the real value of making sure that people had assistance to take their medication. And, and that's led to the, you know, the, the fees and the various uh, subsidies that have come from that. So, yes, it's a crisis, but uh, I, I just think in my own situation, we do charge for a Webster pack. I know some pharmacists do don't, but we do, we charge it. And if that means we have to increase the fee and customers stay, why not? And look, we do have ways of adding value. Like, I don't know whether you're familiar with the pocket profile, the, the medicines list, the little pocket profile that we have recently, about 12 months ago, developed, which is like a mini, it's a mini summary of a person's medications, but it folds up, I think origami, you know, folds up into a little business card. There are a pharmacist who have offered that service in addition to the Webster packs at the same time they've increased their fees. And one particular pharmacist was telling me that of the 110 people he services, he increased the fee from five to six dollars and included that and then lost one customer. So in their big pharmacy arena, there is opportunity for us to model our services and get reimbursement. And the pressure will probably accelerate that. It's like a pressure book. One, 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 one thing I'll ask with the pocket profile, Jared, um, it's, a, it's a printed card that has the individual's most up-to-date medication profile. Is, the, is that likely to evolve into something perhaps that uh, now that we are seeing a, a larger adoption of more elderly Australians on smartphones, social media and all these things, is it something that they're likely to be able to experience perhaps on an app in the near future, do you think? Absolutely. The, uh, the purpose of this is to get a functioning, purpose, purposeful summary of medications into a person's pocket or handbag or wallet that's useful in the case of an emergency. Yeah. And this is a stepping stone. It is Nothing is like the ultimate panacea. It's all about stepping stones. And with this, that pocket profile, for example, which is fundamentally straight into our software that everyone's got. Yeah. The only way that would be worthwhile would be if it's current. So what we've done is we've put a prompt in there. Whenever you make a dosage change, you get a prompt to produce a new profile. So therefore, it's not like you're relying on staff to remember to do it or customers to ask for it. So it, it's that currency of the profile. And it's only effective... I believe, if when a person comes in and the pharmacist comes out and says, oh, and here's your latest version of the medicines list, that is when I think is a, it will cement the relationship. Now, that's particularly useful for people in the community, but in aged care, we've got an aged care facility who has asked their pharmacist to produce these because they use them for their disaster box when the disaster box is in the event of a fire or an emergency evacuation, they grab these, this, this detail and it goes out so that people have, there's some source of reference uh, for what medications people are on and so forth. And you know, they put armbands on them with tags and names. Mm. Uh, so there's all sorts of different purposes. And 
I could go on and on, but mm, absolutely, it, it's a, it's a, it is a using the technology, which is the fundamental software, producing an object which has got value, yeah. but it does lead to other opportunities, and certainly the apps are uh, definitely are becoming. Yeah, no, absolutely. And so, look, as we can see from the suite of products and services that WebsterCare offer, it does mould the technology to solve particular patient problems and solutions. And ultimately, that's what we're actually there to do as pharmacists. So if our patients don't ask us questions and we don't have problems to help them solve, then uh, we probably don't have much of a role. But, uh, you know, it's it's great to obviously see that, uh, you know, that's been able to be adapted to a number of things. And look, obviously, in aged care and community there are a number of efficiencies and when we're starting to question the viability of a service we start to move down a more efficient path and we start to look at the time that it takes to process certain things even in the most efficient processes of early Webster care that uh, it's it's interesting now that obviously you've involved that into MedsPro to make to automate what I think is best practice in that regard but also um, you've started to introduce a robot into the packing process can you tell us a little bit about that well yes the interesting thing about the robot was we've been working on robots for, for many years and when I, we finally came to the robot that we now have what was important to me was that not everybody you can't pack everything in a robot. You know, some medications shouldn't be in canisters for extended periods of time. There may not be a value in having some expensive drugs in the canister. So there's always some drugs that won't be packed. But so the purpose of the robot is to be working away while your staff is doing other things. And that's what's happened with our robot. We've, we're very fortunate that we've been able to develop our robot around packing two packs at the same time. Now, that's really quite a phenomenal thing when you think that you could have two Webster packs, there's two different people being packed at the same time. And while that's going on, the person doing the packing is finishing off the previous two packs that were packed by the robot. So there's this nice workflow. And what happened was when I was... Um, designing the, the workflow, the process around the robot, it was obvious that there's terrific accuracy in the robot, but how can you control those additional pills that you put in afterwards that have the same accuracy? And that's when you know I worked the scanning process around it so that it became part of the robot where we scan the drugs as we put them into the packs and we use colour schemes and various things like that. Mm. One of my pharmacists then, who works for me here at my pharmacy at Leichhardt, said to me, oh, you know, isn't it a pity that we can't just use that even if you don't have a robot? And so I thought, oh, no, too much trouble, too much trouble. And another day, one of my pharmacists uh, in our professional services team had come back from the pharmacy, brought back a picture, photo of all these shelves in a room and shelves were just loaded with bags of pills for hundreds of people. And I thought to myself, goodness, if we could encourage pharmacists to do more Webster packing, it's going to be good for everybody. But if you were a pharmacist and someone walked into your pharmacy and said, look, I um, I want you to do a Webster pack for me, and they thought, yeah, that's good, but where am I going to put, where am I going to put this latest bag, you know, the straw that broke the camel's back? Yeah. But if we could do something like 
NetsPro, it means that a pharmacist could take on additional people without that secondary impact of storage space. And so it became like a blinding flash of the obvious, this is where we have to put our energy, which we did. We actually slowed down the development of the robot and we put all our energy into MedsPro. And once we'd got that right, we then wrapped it all up into two fundamental systems, which is really the robot, which is a clever, accurate packing machine, and MedsPro, which is secondary to that, but also a separate system and process in its own right. We've actually applied for a patent on the MedsPro process, and it is just flows. And I, of all the things that I can offer a pharmacist, of all the things, there's nothing I can offer them that's more likely to impact on their product and efficiency than MedsPro. Mm, absolutely. And I guess as, as we start to look at the viability of dose administration aids moving forward, have you, have you, can you tell our pharmacy owner listeners um, anything about any of the financial studies that you found from this? So has MedsPro saved a, a certain amount per pharmacy, per patient, do you feel? And does it have a capacity to increase, um, obviously, the efficiency of a dispensary technician and a pharmacist team to a larger amount of patients and clients moving forward. Have you got any um, data around that? Well, we're, we're doing a study with Bruce Annabelle at the moment. You know Bruce? Yes. Uh, everyone knows Bruce. Yep. And he's done a fine-tooth comb analysis of the value of the MedsPro and the robot, and he keeps using the words compelling. There's compelling evidence that the MedsPro is something that pharmacists should adopt. But in fundamentally very simple picture terms that I see, I know that if a pharmacist had, say, 50 multi-dose, 50 Webster packs that they're doing a week, and they put in its pro, the same person doing those 50 could do the 100. It doubles that productivity, and from the pharmacist's checking point of view, because of the accuracy associated with it, the number of, like, hacking errors that are picked up in that checking process are pretty well nil. So therefore the checking for the pharmacist becomes quicker as well. Mm. So in terms of, you know, dollars in the bank, there is, you work out the average return of a person being your customer having say 84, 85 to 100 scripts dispensed a year, you multiply that out. Yeah. And then you think, well, if I could have 50 times that amount uh, per year with minimal additional costs, that has an impact on the bottom line. Absolutely. So, it, it's, you know, sort of and the numbers, uh, they're pretty solid, but everywhere consistently where a pharmacist sets up MedsPro and they follow the system and set it up properly, we get great results. Mm. And, and certainly I think that has some great direct relevance for our community patients and obviously with the uh, tidal wave ahead that's forecasted of aged care mm. in Australia and the number of aged care beds just doesn't seem to be keeping up with the demand. Australians will need to be staying in their homes longer and need to be living more independently and obviously that 
service and dose administration it's going to play right into that let's um switch over a little to um aged care and a lot of pharmacy owners with some trepidation will consider whether they take on a nursing home based on the costs and efficiency and uh, obviously there's as a side issue been the long-running discussion that i know you've been particularly involved with yourself with the electronic medication chart and getting the uh, medication chart as a pbs prescription um, what advice would you give pharmacy owners in assessing where they are currently with aged care but also perhaps if a, if a nursing home business did come and knock on their door would you be encouraging them to take it up at the moment and would there be any special readiness steps that you would recommend well that's a really good question most of the problems that come from servicing a residential aged care facility come from managing prescriptions that unfortunately doctors do not keep up to date and it's like having to dispense everything twice. Secondly, there's the medication advisory committees. There's the time that pharmacists have to spend at those. There's the urgent deliveries. There's all those ancillary services that go with it. The packing the medication and presenting the medication is one aspect of it. But in my pharmacy downstairs, like really the, um, the energy that I see going into the provision of the service is around those daily changes. It's around contacting doctors for clarification. It's getting prescriptions and asking for prescriptions over and over again. A doctor spends a Saturday afternoon, two hours of his time or her time, and writes out hundreds of scripts that are owing as if, with due respect, they're doing us a favour. We get this bundle of scripts which now represents an additional effort that goes into it. So. That is a, a really huge burden. The National Residential Medication Chart, I'm very excited about. I think the current form of that chart, which is quite a thick book, is a is a, a difficult book to manage. When we can incorporate that chart into a computerised version, I think that the opportunities that represents for pharmacy just to get rid of 95% of the prescription chasing and just get on with the task of managing their business, I think it's going to have a huge impact. And whether it creates a, an increase in profit, what it will represent is a lower cost of managing that entire service. Can a pharmacist, because they've saved staff money, therefore say, oh, look, I don't need that person? doesn't seem to me, and probably... I don't know your experience, but it doesn't seem to me that when a pharmacist becomes more efficient, they let their staff go. Pharmacists nurture their staff and perhaps they allocate them to other duties. So it's a little bit challenging in the real world to say, look, you know, because you can do twice as much in half the time, you know, therefore you've got staff you don't need. That doesn't necessarily translate into lower staff costs, but it does translate into staff being able to do other things, which are the you know the lifeblood of the pharmacy is to be able to build up other services that the pharmacy may also be providing. I think aged care, uh, it's challenging, but in our pharmacy we charge for the service, and if you're providing a service that is really a really good service, it's value for money for the facility. They're they're managed. They've got to be properly managed because the um, accreditation is extremely important to them. And if they find that there's any 
deficiencies in the pharmacy service or medication management, that can have a huge impact on a facility. Um, look, we still, we don't go out looking for facilities in our pharmacy. Mm-hmm. If they come to us, we take them, but we don't go looking. Mm-hmm. The, I, I just think that um, it's in the pharmacy, it's in the government's best interest to make sure that medication management is under the control that it is. I think if we, we tend to underestimate the value of pharmacy and the level of expertise that goes into it because because we're pharmacists, we tend to think that pretty well anyone can do that. It's it's a, it's an art that we are involved in. And I think that what I'd like to think of is that that people one day realise that if there were not, if, there, if the services that we currently provide as pharmacists were not there and the onus fell back on the nurses, every facility in Australia would lead at least another two full-time, perhaps three full-time nurses to manage what we as pharmacists do. Mm. So there is a huge dependence on us. It wouldn't be in the government's interest, for example, to see that control over medication diminished. In fact, you can see by all the reports that we from time to time read in the newspaper, there is a push for more and more medication control and really there's no one else other than pharmacists who are in the position to do that. Absolutely, absolutely. That's the way it is. And, and, and where, I guess, pharmacy owners will be sitting right now if they are looking after aged care facilities, um, electronic medication management seems to be the way that they will need to go. Uh, obviously, once that medication chart becomes a prescription, it will be an electronic process. Um, and I, from my understanding, um, Medscom allows them to begin that journey, um, which is a product that you offer. Um, if pharmacy owners are looking to get into electronic medication management, is that a good starting point for them? Look, when, uh, when Medscom is a, is a communication tool which enables the facilities to communicate with the pharmacy without having to fax the prescriptions or the orders. It, it is a fantastic tool. One pharmacist in Tasmania, when she put it in, one of our professional services pharmacists was there and she was asked, what is it you like most about Medscom? And she pointed to the telephone and she said, well, that doesn't ring anymore. And, you know, just that simple act of less interruption means everyone can get on with their work. And here in our pharmacy here, we did a, a bit of like, a, uh, you know, a study of one event, which was we, we set it up for our own benefit and we pretended that we were sending a fax order from the nursing home to our pharmacy and then we compared it to that same order being received through Medscom. One of the things that first thing we did was when the nurse tended to send this, which happens, first thing she did was ring the pharmacy to say, did you get the fax? And so the pharmacy is waiting for the fax to come through. So they're having a chat, chat, chat. But there's this hidden cost of time going on in the background that we, we just don't realise until it disappears. So the Medscom is a method of communication, works extremely well. The medication chart is received at the pharmacy. It is becomes part of that permanent record. It's readable. You can read it because it's a scanned, high-resolution copy, and there's tremendous value in that um, as well. The Medscom is a fundamental part of another system we have, which is MedSig, which is the electronic recording of meds by the nurses in the facilities. And I think once the medication charts, now that is in place, the National Residential Medication Chart 
chart project is in place, so it's there. But I, my gut feeling from the people's feedback that we're getting is that it's not tailored at this time to the efficiencies and new technology that we've got. For example, when a doctor builds one of these charts in, they've got to do it in their own handwriting. And can you imagine asking a doctor to go to a 30-bed facility and say, look, every four months I want you to sit down and rewrite 30 medication charts for your residents or however many they might be. Uh, it, from the doctors that I've spoken to, they're not at all happy about that option. And of course, transcribing like that leads to error. Yeah. And when you have errors, and that, that in its own right then becomes a pharmacist's problem because you've got to check as a handwritten transcription matched what was there before. And in some of the, in one event, in one nursing home we were servicing, where we were doing the, you know, computerized charts, the director of care said, look, she didn't like that idea because she felt that the doctors weren't really looking at the charts carefully enough and they were just signing them off. So she went back to handwritten charts. Three months later, when we did our audit, because we do an audit on all the charts in all the facilities we service every three months, yep. we found 36 discrepancies between what had been written on the new charts versus what was on the old charts, and none of them were intentional omissions. Hmm. So then a new director of care, slightly higher up the chain, reinstated the computerized charts. The next time we did an audit, there were no discrepancies. Hmm. So... Oh. Absolutely. And I think you touched on a very key area. And I think that's really going to probably drive sustainability in aged care, particularly in pharmacy. And that's that of integration of systems, doubled, avoiding double data entry, transcription errors, and trying to, I guess, have all of our systems working together. I can't tell you in ourselves, one of our biggest frustrations is that um, certainly in my career, I, I haven't seen and have seen no evidence at this stage that our dispense systems are integrating with our Webster Care systems and other aged care systems, of course. And then the care systems that exist in the nursing homes, there's only very few that are uh, integrating tightly to obviously maximise the global efficiency that medica electronic medication management could perhaps offer us. So I, I guess, is there anything that... Um, you can tell tell me that perhaps I, I haven't heard already, Jared, that um, is being done on the work to try and avoid, I guess, transcription errors, I guess, at the doctor's end, but also all of this extra data entry that comes from the nursing home pharmacy relationship. Look, I, I don't know whether the data entry from the residential aged care is as major problem as it seems to be. It is definitely a big workload when you're converting a nursing home, setting it up, because you've really got to go do and, you know, be very precise in the data entry. But once a person's in there, really it's a case of maintaining it. And the maintenance for some people is really zero because they don't have any dosage changes. For other people, it can be significant if they've got dosage changes. But I, I don't get the feedback from our pharmacists that the data management itself is a an overwhelming burden. 
I, I guess and, I guess where I'm coming from that is um, obviously when you have prescriptions come in from the from the doctors and they need to be dispensed and obviously if there are medication changes you're having to enter that information twice mm-hmm. into the dispensary system as well as the medication management system and I know that um, Webster Care and perhaps Fred have had that um, single point interface where you can drag and drop data across but um, yes. look obviously in a in an ideal efficient environment that should automatically happen and that if a medication is dispensed in one that the data flows directly across to another. Uh, I think that's where I was more getting at. Look, I think you're right. When the National Residential Medication Chart Project is in full swing, then you will have one source of truth and that is the medication chart because that will be the source of the pharmacist's dispensing and will also be from where the nurses administer. At the moment, there's a chart and then there's a separate prescription. And the directions on the prescriptions, more often than not, are non-existent. So you're entirely relying on the chart. I think when the chart becomes the prescription and it's widely used, I think it'll just be wonderful because what's written on that chart, that's what that person's going to get. And there's no misinterpretation. I think it's got, it's, it's got a great opportunity. And this is really then technology at its best. You've got one source of truth, minimal risk of error, minimal risk, no transcription errors, just wonderful. So I'm excited about where this could lead. I think that the there are some functional issues regarding the chart. And once it's electronically out there, I think it will be just great. Mm, absolutely. Look, we've covered, I guess, we've looked at the technology that obviously helps to enable better patient management at a community and an aged care level and obviously some of the great innovations and that obviously led to uh, the award that you received last year, I think, as the, as the sixth most innovative company. Was that right, Jared? That's right, yes. Yeah. We um, were, we were voted the sixth most innovative company in Australia by Business Review Weekly. And that was exciting because the part of the nomination wasn't just a like a submission to say, oh, we've got these innovations, but 50 of our staff had to answer a survey to support the submission. And so it was a 360-degree survey. And to be nominated... First, and then to be voted the sixth, that was just like unbelievable. Mm. That when you look at the companies that are behind us, you look at the few that are in front of us. Uh, the Commonwealth Bank was in front of us. Westpac was in front of us. Three other companies were in front of us. Uh, when you look at the massive companies behind us. It's a really big deal mm. to be the sixth most innovative company. Absolutely. And, and on the topic of innovation, and, and this will be my, my, my last question, it's been fantastic. Um, what would be, for you, the biggest game-changing technology? And I'm sure being the innovative person that you are, that you probably have a few ideas that maybe are in the, in the pipeline. So this might give our pharmacy owners an insight. If time and resources were no barrier, what would Webster Care implement in pharmacies today? What would be that fantasy solution that could, uh, I guess, make dose administration aids, I guess, you know, take it into even probably the, even the 22nd century? Oh, Robert, what a question to end on. <laughs> that, is, that is too big a question. The 
Look, I think some of the technology that we're working on at the moment would probably be as about as exciting as I could hope to be involved in. We've got some innovations around measuring when people have actually taken their tablets or not and having alerts that go out to relatives or carers in that regard. Yeah. Ultimately, the whatever the technology is, it's all got to come right back to that fundamental principle of loyalty, generating loyalty between the pharmacist and their customers, getting the best possible health outcomes from medication and making it a worthwhile investment for us as taxpayers to be funding that money that's being spent on medication. Uh, look, I'd, um, look, I think of apps. I was in the US last year and I went to a lecture at the American Society of Consultant Pharmacists Conference on apps and there are something like 240,000 apps that are health-related apps. And thinking of sorting through those apps and finding ones that really made a difference is a bit of a challenge. So apps have got their place, but when it comes down to the fundamentals, anything that we would be wanting to do would be to assist our pharmacists to manage the relationships that they have with their customers as best we can so that pharmacy wins, customers win, government wins, everybody wins. And therefore, it becomes a self-sustaining process. Absolutely. And uh, look, anything that, I guess, puts this patient right smack in the centre and gets our pharmacists closer to them and be able to care them, care for them in more ways than they've imagined, I think, is really where we're going to head. Jared, it's been fantastic. I think our pharmacy owners are going to take a lot of value from away from that in reconsidering and looking at their community dose administration aid business and aged care. There's obviously a lot to come in there, a lot of efficiencies that are being built in by Webster Care and the aged care industry in general and uh, look it's been terrific and it's been a pleasure having you on the program thank you robert thank you very much thanks jared wow we covered so much ground in that interview and you can see how easily it was to find out how jared's won so many awards for so many achievements we tried to fit in as much as we could into the interview and hopefully you've got so much value from that and you can understand why innovation's at the key of his business my three key learnings. Innovation, funnily enough, is not a once-off. It is a culture you and your team need to embrace for the sake of improving your patient care. Webster Care products originally sought to achieve this outcome, and with each iteration or innovation, they've implemented this in mind. The second thing is, don't give away your day's administration aid service. The survey I quoted a few weeks ago about pharmacy owners looking to abandon or or rapidly scale back their home delivery service, it also showed up that pharmacy owners were considering their space in dose administration aids. And again, that's probably just because of the operating costs in mind. Going through this in interview, I'm sure you'd see that there are a lot of efficiencies in the way Webster Care go about it. There are many other providers as well that we're going to talk about over the next few weeks where we interview some of the other third-party providers that can assist you in implementing dose administration aids effectively. But ultimately, it provides a patient with a close personal relationship it builds patient loyalty and it'll be critical in the coming years with Australians living longer in their homes and nursing home bed waiting times increasing. So don't give it away. 
let's just get more efficient so that we can do it more for less and really put our extra time and money into patient services and engagement. And the third one, focusing also on efficiency, is aged care services as well. Those of us who are already engaged with it are probably going to continue to do that, but we may do it with some trepidation as to how much it's costing our businesses to continue in aged care. And those of us who aren't in it may, again, approach going to a nursing home or attracting new business with some doubt as well, considering the costs in mind. It's really important with this one that you do consider your workflow really strongly. Consider your position in electronic medication management and the readiness for the medication chart as a prescription and focus on your efficiency as well. You can maintain a very close personal relationship with aged care staff and their patients, but you will need to do it in a hybrid manner between digital and physical relationships as well. And as I mentioned, in the coming episodes, other aged care pharmacy service providers will share their insights so that you can find the right solution for your pharmacy at the end of the day. Given the amount of content and how much we got out of that interview, we're not going to do a micro transformation this week. We just simply don't have time. I know that we're going to get over the one hour mark, which is a record for the transformation show. But there was so much gold in this episode. I know that you'll get a lot out of it. Please don't forget my promise on the iTunes review. As always, David at the beginning of the show, pop a question, a recommendation up there. I'll read that out on the next episode and I can't wait to answer those questions for you. We've got some blockbuster interviews coming up and also I put the challenge out as I spoke to another few pharmacy owners this week. If you have some suggestions and there were some great suggestions for some people I need to hit up for interviews that you want to hear from, if there's any technology partners you want to hear from, if you yourself are a pharmacy owner and you're embracing technology and you want to share that with our community, please hit me up. I'm more than happy to have you on the show. Guys, have a great weekend. I look forward to speaking to you again next week.